Welcome to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN, LD at Large. I hope you guys are all reading the back page first and going through the entire magazine. I am here today with my good friend, Nate Cromwell, uh, lighting designer, director, and programmer at Nacho Production and Designs. I wanted to reach out to him today because as a band of pirates, we as the band of pirates that we are in the industry, we're all travelers. We all depend on traveling. We all love the, the traveling and our industry has made it necessary. Nate takes traveling very seriously in his job and outside of his job. So we wanted to have a little discussion about what it is for some, some soaring eagles to be cooped up in, a, in our offices for a little while. Thank you so much for taking the time. Nate? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my dear friend, how I've missed you. It's good to hear your voice. It has always been too long. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to get on and uh, chit-chat with you about whatever you want. Yeah, as much as I would like for the whoever ate the head off a bat and gave the entire world a pandemic, I wish he hadn't done that. But I, I thank him for being able to give us time to sit and chat for a little while. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's important for us all to to do what we need to stay home, stay safe. And uh, at the other, you know, at the at the other point of it, though, is what are you doing with your time? Are you trying to make the most of it? Are you getting by? And what are you know, what are some things that we're uh, we can do to to fill that time and, you know, keep each other safe, healthy and happy? Yeah, you're the one one of the guys that I always see with just beautiful photos from all over the world. And now it's just kind of photos from the living room and photos from the kitchen and still beautiful Uh, photos. But uh, the traveling has gone from millions of miles to just a few feet. um, Yeah, absolutely. The the adventure is certainly smaller. I was joking with my wife, Angela, last uh, last night that I was uh, taking a trip from LVR to KCN. She looked at me and I said, I'm going to the kitchen. And then I jokingly said on the way back that the in-flight service was better on the way back than it was going because I had a snack in my hand. So the only trips that we're taking this, uh, these days are to the kitchen. And then we get up every morning and try to get a, get a walk in around, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, just to get out before everybody else. And, uh, at least get some exercise in and get our steps. That sounds like a a decent time. I would imagine you don't run into too many people at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We've changed the route that we've been going to because it uh, it's it's more on the, the streets, which allows us, you know, to keep at least six feet, if not more, from everybody else. Still wave at our neighbors and say hi and get in the, the exercise that is duly needed and necessary for everybody and also just kind of decompress and and connect. You know, it's a good way for the two of us to connect in the morning and start off our day. Nice. And, and you guys generally travel together when you guys go all over the place. So you guys are no strangers to being confined in small spaces together. Yeah, I would say uh, I would say my my traveling adventures kind of go into twofold, which is one where I'll just kind of turn to Angela and say, I think I want to go to northern Mongolia. And she'll just kind of look at me and go, OK. And then, you know, that plan will start or our plan is together. We had, uh, I did one where I went around the world and I, which actually I left on two years ago today on this trip. 
and I left and went west. She went east over into Europe and had a tour that lasted about a month, month and a half. And then we met up in France and continued the rest of our travels. Uh, and then we hopped on a cruise ship for a while. So we're used to being in small spaces, whether it be hotel rooms or cruise ship cabins or airplanes or whatever have you together in confined spaces. So that at least makes it a little bit more, I wouldn't say um, manageable, but it makes it, you know, just more usual for us. It's, it's very, it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary for us to be around each other this much because since we both tour, there have been years where we've gone six, seven, eight months and only seen each other four or five days. Uh, and so we're really trying to appreciate getting to spend this time together and look at the, all of these things as opportunities, you know, try to spin the positives out of this that you can. Good for you. There's always a silver lining. If you, if you dig deep enough, it, it, it exists. It's always there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's one of those that, you know, trying to, trying to make good use of your time. Uh, I was talking to my, our, our, both of our mutual friend, Bob Boniel the other day. And uh, I was saying how uh, if you are sitting at home and you are 24 years old and you ask me, what should I be doing? I'm a lighting tech. I'm a lighting director. I'm a lighting programmer. I want to, I want to go out and, you know, I want to, I want to learn this stuff right now. Well, please don't sit at home and become a level 48 paladin in world of Warcraft. Please become a level 48 programmer. And this is an excellent time to hone those skills, whether it be, you know, Vectorworks, whether it be AutoCAD, Studio Max 3D, um, you know, Grand MA on PC, those sort of things. It's a, uh, it's a really good opportunity to kind of hone those skills that, as you remember, you and I, in fact, we talked about this, you and I didn't have those opportunities. On PC has become the great programming equalizer. When we started, you had to bribe somebody or stay late in the shop to learn how to program a console. That was kind of the end of the journey in depth and knowledge was learning that. And, uh, and nowadays, that's kind of a starting off point for a lot of people. You can be 14, 15 years old and never seen a, a, a rock and roll rig or a shop and be a, a savvy programmer. Uh, whereas in our day, you had to prove that it was worth somebody's time to teach you the console. So it's, it's definitely a different world when it comes to on PC and all of that good stuff. Yeah. For us, it used to be, you would have to start with a, an inexpensive console and then move to something else and then move to something else. And then you would work your way up to a virtuoso or a grand MA two or something like that. Yeah. Now, absolutely. Because of on PC, you'll find kids that only know MA two and they would never know uh, an AVO or a uh, or a hog because they just they haven't had access to it yeah abs absolutely um i remember when i first started working at bandit uh bandit lighting in nashville uh chris lyle was a great uh designer and a programmer back in the day he uh chris lyle brought me into bandit and said you should hire this guy they brought me into the shop i started working just as a grunt in the shop like everybody does and i started getting phone calls from LDs out on the road. And I got brought into the office and asked, why are these guys all calling you just the kid who's supposed to be looming cables? And I said, well, they have questions about consoles. And they said, what? And, and the shop manager said, what are you talking about? And I said, nobody here knows how to run a Leprechaun 3000 except for me. And so these guys are, are going out on festivals and they got a question and they know just from talking to me here in the shop that I can know how an AVO Pearl 2000 or a LP 3000 or, 
you know, any of those, a hog, a Jans console or any of those works. So it's, um, it was one of those where that knowledge is, is a difficult thing to get. But nowadays you can just hop on and you can learn on PC. You can learn, you know, the Obsidian, you can learn all sorts of desk ETC consoles. You can learn all of those at, at the touch of a download. We are in an open source world where all of that's available. And now you it's hard to find a place where you have to pay for it. You can get yeah. YouTube tutorials. You can, you, uh, especially these times right now, there's everybody's given something away to keep people uh, educated. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and it's wonderful. And I recommend that anybody who had that dream of learning something, but didn't have the time because they were, gigging or they had this going on. And if they have the opportunity, this is a great chance to, you know, the only other recommendation I have from, from my point of view is, is exercise. You know, if you're smoking, this is a great time to quit, even though it's stressful. If you aren't exercising, at least start a little bit because you know that if you do get this thing, you want to be in great shape. You want to be in, in a chance to, to really fight this thing off as best you can. So that's another opportunity for us to just kind of uplift because, you know, as, as somebody who smoked for, for their twenties and their thirties, it's uh, it's one of those that you don't think it's a regret until you realize like, Hey, here's a perfect example where now you can have a, a, a pre-existing condition for this simply because of what you've done in the past. So that's, that's my only other PSA about, you know, the, your health and health and livelihood as it, as it you know, goes towards uh, our current situation. Yeah. Uh, up until now, having asthma was a, a mild inconvenience for some and kind of a major uh, problem for others. But now it's going to be tripled, quadrupled because of the, the virus that it's going around right now. I'm hearing people with something simple as asthma or uh, a lung infection that now it's it's just multiplied the yeah, ab- absolutely. And that's why uh, it's, it's important to take care of each other. And it's important to take care of yourself in this as much as we can. And, uh, and, and resources are there. Uh, resources are there and, and utilize them if you need to. Don't be afraid to, to ask for help and don't be afraid to check in with somebody. So because uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to need to happen for all of us to, to get through this as well as we can. Yeah. So I would imagine that you're... Uh, for the first time, not planning any upcoming trips, you, you know, I keep able to do so. I keep spinning the globe. I got this little globe that I kind of use as a, uh, as, as a jumping off point and to kind of look at it and, and start dreaming. And then I, I spend a lot of time on Google maps when I first start these adventures, uh, looking at different things and paths and then doing the research there. And yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm looking back to the past on my, uh, on my trips now, instead of looking, towards the ones in the future for the time being, for the time being. But I think once this, uh, once we get a handle on this, it's going to be important for people to, to travel and, and make good and direct human contact. Uh, what were you in the middle of booking when this all came down? Were you, did you have to cancel any flights? Um, I didn't have to cancel any flights. I was actually getting ready to uh, work on Alanis Morissette this year. Um, which is a, a wonderful camp, wonderful people, love her. I got the chance to run lights for her as her LD in a European tour. I was doing like a month-long leg about a year ago, year and a half ago. Absolutely great time. Uh, hopped back on Carrie Underwood last year. 
incredible tour. And then this year it was slated to, uh, to just run with Alanis for the year. And Carrie had some, just some pickup shows. So that as, uh, as of now, we have canceled our, uh, our, uh, Australia and Southeast Asia tour, uh, which we're supposed to be on right now. And then, uh, as of now, our amphitheater is still on as it's later on in the summer. And, uh, so, you know, doing what we can to still kind of get that ready and keep the, keep the wheels moving as slowly as they are with everything. Um, and, and I've found that reaching out to a couple of people that when I'm like, Hey, can you either, you know, help me with this or, Hey, will you take a look at this? Or, Hey, will you put a bit on this? They, people have really wanted to, because it's something to do. It's, it's, it feels normal to look at plots and to be talking about, you know, gear and things like that. So at least if I can keep some normalcy with that with some of my friends who I work with, then that's a great thing too. <laughs> you have you have the world at your fingertips at the moment. If you're if you're looking for bids, there's lots of people sitting <laughs> some gear out there. at the bit for sure. Yeah. There's there's some gear out there, unfortunately. So uh, uh, the geez. warehouses of the world are packed full right now. Yeah. So uh, so when we get out, when we finally get back to this, and uh, and Lord. Uh, Lord willing, we all do that, you know, hopefully it's, it's, we go back to it and it isn't diminished in such that we have this glut of, of not only gear, but people sitting on the sidelines. Um, you know, that's, that's my hope is that when we do get back to this, it is with the inertia and everything that we had going in our industry and with the positivity that we had in our industry. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I, uh, I keep thinking about this, um, speaking of travel, I'll tell you some travel stories. I was, I keep thinking about this kid that I saw in Cambodia because he was, it was some punching bag of a console. I couldn't even tell you, I'd never seen it before in my life. And it was during Songkrum, which happens right around now, actually April, I think 15th or 20th, uh, it's Lunar New Year. And it's a, it's a big celebration of the New Year's of the, of the Lunar New Year. And I was in, um, I was up in Siem Reap um, at Angkor Wat in Cambodia, and they're throwing these massive parties everywhere. There's these just festival tents everywhere, and these little lighting rigs, and these stages, and these food vendors, and every and these massive amount of people. And it's a wonderful celebration. And there was this kid there running lights in the middle of a town square. He had um, just uh, like some LED pars. And it was, it's the hottest that it gets this year or that time of year in Cambodia. I mean, it's hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity in nighttime. And this kid is in a full blown suit running lights. Why? Because he's going to show up and he's going to run lights. And that to him was such a big deal. He's going to put on the best thing that he owns. And I keep thinking of that kid because that kid's not going to be working during Songkran. You know, so it's it's people like that who you see and they just leave an indelible memory. Um, it was nothing. It was it was a beautiful acapella ballad sort of singer. And it was nothing but strobe lights, um, which was a very, I, I will say, bold move on his part. It was a very bold move. Um, and and he left it on for the whole time and changed colors. But he I mean, had control of it. But he's just she, you know. It's uh, it's it's the old adage that how can how can my show look good if I don't look good? So, 
And I just think, you know, people like that, who that kid, who it's his dream and passion so much to run lights that he is showing up on a Friday to run this, you know, six LED lights and he is in a full blown suit. Um, and I think <laughs> that kid. If, uh, if the light can do it, then it should be doing it. And if it's the best look that the light can give you during the best song that the singer's singing, then you should be strobing those lights to back her up and with maybe not all, all of the songs in the hours long set <laughs> do the strobe light. Maybe not the whole thing. But hey, that's his move, man. That's his art. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna it's just that's not what I would do. But it's and he he was into it. I mean, he was in the pocket. He was loving it. And it's it's stuff like that when I see that that I realize that what we do, this performance thing that we do for a living, this dream that we all had one day of we went to a concert, we were like, I want to run lights for that band, or we saw an article, or we did this or whatever. Um, that dream is universal. That there are LDs in the middle of the jungle in Cambodia living it out just like we do. Oh, I'm sure that there were DMX cables wired nutted together to get those strobes going. It took I got yeah, I got some pictures. And I got I got some real good pictures that I'll I'll show you someday of uh, of exactly produ- it's some production, you know, wonky stuff. Uh I will say this, it did look like Dimmer Beach was built by me because there was no cable management and if you've ever talked to any of my crew chiefs, they don't let me in Dimmer Beach because Anytime that I go in, they're like, cables just start moving and messing up on their own. It's like, so, you know, just, just go back to the other side of the snake, Nate. We know that you've done this part too. Yes. But just go to the other end of the snake. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those, I've, I've seen some really interesting things. I was in Myanmar and I was in, uh, in Began and, uh, which is a wonderful place if you ever get a chance, Began in uh, Myanmar. And they were setting up a stage. The truss was bamboo. There were no wheels on any of the cases. So when we all get back to this and you see a road case, and these were feeder cases, mind you. These were actually like old school Chinese ammo, you know, bins. And there's no wheels on these. And you're pulling them and they're full of feeder. So next time you see a feeder case with wheels, appreciate it because there are places in the world where feeder cases don't have wheels. I was just at uh, Fuse Technical Group in Las Vegas, and their casters on all their cases even snap into place. They're spring-loaded so that when you lift them, they go back into their own cups. Ooh. It was like magic, and I, I didn't know that there were still advances to be made in case casters but it was amazing and uh, all of them had it and they, you could still push them in all directions. And that seems like an entire separate world from a feeder case without wheels. They're, they're on the same, same pale blue dot, but uh, worlds apart. Absolutely. And you know, uh, another perfect example of that is HUD trust. You know, how long did we, run around handballing lights on stuff. And then somebody was like, I wonder if we could just make this stuff HUD truss and keep the lights in the truss. And it's, it's those aha moments that radically and drastically change our industry. Even little things like, you know, augmenting a caster because how many casters are out there in the world, you know, or, or sticks of truss and things like that. And it's those aha moments where somebody thinks outside of the box 
that change our industry and change every industry. And those, those are the kind of dreamers that we need are the people who are going to look at a caster and go, you know what? I can do a better job of that. Or they look at a stick of trust or they look at safety equipment or they look at consoles and they, and they completely change the game on how we approach this stuff. Those are, those are the leaps and bounds of not only technology, but of, of practical thinking that, that really change our industry exponentially. How, what would I give to be there the day that they were hauling up a bunch of one tons and two ton motors up to the top? And then one day somebody just said, you know, if we just inverted these, we'd only have to pull up the chain. And um, absolutely. someone who's hung, never a- know that that's a thing. They're like Now what we call it the other way around. We, now we call it when you hang up the right way, we call that inverted. Oh yeah. And, um, if, if you ever go into a, like a machine shop or a garage and you tell them like, Hey, their motor's upside down, they're just going to look at you like you're crazy. You know, um, as, as someone who's personally pulled two tons in their life, um, I, I absolutely think that person, whoever they may be, um, he or she saved a lot of our backs. So thank you. Oh, so much time and effort has been saved. So thank or, uh, rolling stages. The first time somebody thought, you know what, we could build a stage over here and the lights over here and then just roll it underneath. I'm sure everybody under at the first time was like, nah, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't you can't build a stage over there. You're just gonna have to like, what are you gonna wheel it all the way? You're just gonna how are you gonna push it over here? And they're like, Well, we'll just push it, you know? Um, yeah, things uh things like that 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 change how we can do it and how many trucks we can get in the door. And, and not only the size and scale, but the beauty and the finesse that we can bring in because we're, we're an industry that constantly has to top itself for the wow factor, whether it be the artists or there's, there's no other industry that's really got every kind of season. They got to go out and go, okay, this time it's got to be bigger and better, or it's got to be smaller and more amazing. You know, it's uh, it's one of those that we every time we go out the door, we we got to top ourselves. It seems so. But it's it feels great to pat ourselves on the back, but we're still in an industry that just continues to forget about loading docks and front of house snake troughs and the, the little thing. We still we still have a long way to go. We still have uh, we still have people to remind that uh, if you're going to build an arena, it needs at least 10, 10 loading docks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe, maybe can we, we've had this discussion and I think all roadies who have, uh, done a couple of trips around the U S have said, can we just give everyone the plot and the plans to Omaha's arena and everybody just build that one? Ooh, that's a good one. That is a great place. Yeah. If we could just, just build that one everywhere, you can change the outside a little bit, make it your own, but just the, the, you know, the meat and potatoes of that thing, just make it like, you know, Omaha. Because uh, great building, great people. Uh, just change the color. Everybody just rebrand it. Uh, if people could stop rebranding their arenas every year, that would be great. But, uh, you know, just change the color. Uh, um, yeah, the, the only one that really didn't work out was the 1-800-ASK-GARY Amphitheater here in Florida because <laughs> people started calling trying to find out where their seats were. Um <laughs> Didn't really think it out fully. I could see where they're like, man, slapping this on the amphitheater is going to be great. We're going to get tons of recognition. 
And then one eight hundred ask, and then Gary started getting a bunch of phone calls about tickets and and complaints about the venue. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought for a little while we were going to get the Pink Taco Arena, but it didn't it didn't materialize. I thought that would have been a good one. Yeah, you try for a while, you know. Yeah, yeah. You gotta go for it. So, um, what is the farthest, most remote place that you've been to? Um, good question. I always answer that with everywhere is somebody's backyard. Everywhere you go, somebody is like, you came all the way to be here. Um, there's, there's probably a couple, I would say, um, Targan's vid in North central Mongolia. Uh, first thing you do is you go into the Orkin river Valley, which is a UNESCO world heritage site. It's been, Nomadic herdsmen have lived there the same way for thousands of years. And we stayed, I had a, had a guide with me and an interpreter. And we had an old, the only way you can really get him around Mongolia um, is in like old Russian utility vehicles because you can fix them with anything. I mean, our axle broke and there, here's some bailing wire. Let's just weld this thing back together. Whereas if, if you're in a, a brand new, fancy, very highly technical car and you get stranded, you're out of luck and you're grabbing the satellite phone. So we, uh, we were in the Orkin River Valley and we were staying with this nomadic family, um, amazing family that did three sons, two of which were on the equestrian uh, polo team, national polo team. And their daughter, who was 13, is one of the most amazing horseback riders I've ever seen. Uh, Mongolian horses are real small. They're real skittish. Uh, so the one that saw me was like, oh, 200-pound American. Here we go. Um, but they're very small, very fast, and very skittish. So they're difficult animals to, to work with. And she made it look so natural and simple, taking this giant herd of horses in every morning to milk them and the goats and everything else. So we uh, from there, we would go about eight hours into more of nowhere. Uh, and then you get on a horse and we, you get on horseback for like three and a half hours, you get up to the mountain and then you climb the mountain up to where Zanzibar, who was a, uh, who was a Buddhist teacher. Uh, he brought a lot of Buddhism from, uh, India and the Khmer region up into the North. Uh, and this is where he stayed. And a lot of Mongolian culture and a lot of the language and everything is uh, originally started with him. And there's this very tiny, just like you would imagine it, Mongolian temple up on this mountain in the middle of nowhere. And as you look around, you see nothing but eagles for miles and miles and probably the farthest I've ever been able to see. Um, but it's, it's obviously a very difficult to get there, um, not only in just planning, but also physically getting yourself there. It's very difficult to move around Mongolia. Uh, the other I would say would be uh, Dakin Scali, uh, and that is next, well, it's outside of Kathmandu, Nepal. And Dakin Scali is the uh, home of one of the very few Kali cults left. And, and cult in, if you saw Indiana Jones and the temple, uh, what was it, Temple of Doom? Mm -hmm. That was a Kali cult. Um, that was obviously a Hollywood Kali cult, but she's the goddess of death and rebirth, right? So uh, yes. the image they show of her is standing over with one foot over her husband with his heart ripped out that she's holding in her hand. 
Um, tongue out, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and the white form or whoever is absolutely gorgeous, but there is this temple that has been there since, uh, antiquity, uh, going back thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, and it, uh, they still practice animal sacrifice there, uh, on Sundays and Tuesdays, nine to three. Uh, and only true believers can go. So it was a very honored thing that I was allowed to go. And I was, uh, I didn't do a animal blood sacrifice. Um, just, just cause it's not my thing. I believe in ethical tourism and animals and all that. So uh, I couldn't sacrifice an animal. Um, I did make a, a sacrifice of my own blood to the goddess Kali of death and rebirth. So she's not all just a bad lady. She's also wonderful. She, she's a creator of life. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and it was an amazing experience because just to get up there, uh, with with American twenty dollar bills, I am walking down a taxi stand trying to get somebody to take me, and everyone's like, "Oh no, I'm not going up there. I'm not going on that road." Um, probably one of the most difficult roads that I've ever been on. Um, worse than if you're in a bunk at five o'clock in the morning and you're going out of New Jersey into New York and you're tr- still trying to sleep. Way worse road than that. Um, but it was it was a fascinating experience seeing these people who were so devout that they have traveled on a bus from India for days on end to get there to worship this goddess Kali. Um, it was it was absolutely enthralling. And then uh, uh, there's a I think it's I'm going to mispronounce it, but Pashtunapath Temple is there, and that is where longer than anyone they've uh, buried uh, or they've burned the bodies of the dead and floated them down the river, um, which was an amazing experience to also watch uh, and, and very heartening uh, because I, w- I was there on a merit trip to make merit uh, for my, my dog had passed. And so in order to honor him and to spread, he was so good at, at spreading good love and joy to the world that I took it upon myself during this time of grieving to go on a world trip to, uh, spread merit and good uh, good works to everyone that I could, from teaching English to novice monks to um, going and, and simply uh, talking with people or you know simply going to instead of staying in a giant hotel and eating uh, in, in their restaurant, uh, staying at an Airbnb and then eating at a local shop and, and practicing ethical tourism. Uh, and uh, so that was probably, and those two, I would say, are uh, the farthest out that I've gotten. There have been, um, there have been more uh, dangerous circumstances. People always ask me what's the most dangerous time of your travels. And I said there was two years ago, Austin, Texas, three o'clock in the morning was the only time that I've really felt unsafe. Wow. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I had just gotten back from a trip and I had landed and I was in uh, I was in the Chin villages in uh, the Rakhine state in Myanmar. So I am hanging out with these women whose their faces have been tattooed uh, because they didn't want to be stolen by the Japanese insurgents during World War Two. So their faces have been tattooed and they were way remote in the jungle. I mean, we're up upriver like a while uh, government permission to get there and everything. And, uh, and so I flew home and then the next day I flew to Austin and it was the day before Halloween. And it was like two or three o'clock in the morning and I was just starving and nothing was open. So I had to walk to get something to eat. And that was the only time where I had to steal myself about like, okay, second Avenue, Austin, Texas, watch yourself. But other than that, and my journeys of 
I've met so many wonderful and amazing people and I haven't worried about, I've been, I've been cautious, but I haven't been scared or fearful for my life in Phnom Penh or Bangkok or Tokyo or, you know, Italy, any of the places that you sometimes hear about pickpockets and things like that. I've, I've never had issues. I feel like a lot of people really want us to be scared to go places. And I feel like if you are scared, you materialize something to be scared about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, um, I'm, I'm always, I'm always smart, especially when I'm traveling alone. Um, I'm, I'm always smart about it and, uh, and do my homework, but no, I've, in all of my travels to all of the places that I've gone, there's only been a few times that, um, that I've been, um, been worried. And that was simply because you have that realization. And, and this is when I go real far. Um, but you have that realization, like going up to chin villages, I am 36 hours from a doctor. So oh, yeah, make sure you got your med. And that's another reason to stay healthy. I mean, I'm, uh, I got, uh, actually got sick coming home from Mongolia and, uh, and, you know, just food poisoning. We don't know if it was the camel or the, you know, fermented horse milk or, you know, what it was, but I had to break some of my rules and drink the water and couldn't, you know, just, it's, you're so far remote at that point. You can't, you got to break some of the hard and fast travel rules you have. Um, but it's one of those situations where, okay, you are, you, and it took me five and a half days to get home, you know? So, that's the only time where I've been like, acknowledge that, realize it, and then keep moving on because you have faith in people and faith in humanity. You know, I've, people ask me, what have, what have you learned talking to all these, you know, monks on top of mountains and, and kids and, and parents and all the people that you've gotten to talk to, what, what, are, like, what did you learn? And there's three things that I can tell you I've learned, my friend. Um, first is that it's all the same. We all, we all want the same things. Uh, every parent wants their child to live a better life than they are. Every, child, uh, every parent wants your child to live a better life than they had. Every parent wants their child to be safe and have opportunities. And that is the first and foremost thing in their mind is, is their child. And that is so incredibly universal. Uh, the other is that everywhere that I went, I was taking these pictures that you saw and I put them in Google Photos. Google Photos does all the face matching thing. And it kept putting all of these photos that I took in one folder. And it's God, basically. It's, you know, statues of Buddha from uh, 1000 BC. And then a picture from the, the, pap the papal private chapel. Uh, and, and the algorithm sees all of these as deity and God. And we kind of do. It's just, it's a different, it's a different take on the same thing. Everywhere we're believing the same genuine universal beliefs of love your neighbor, do not harm them, and take care of those around you and take care of yourself and embrace love. And, and that is universal. Everywhere that I went, people believed that no matter what their religion, creed, anything, that was, that was universal. And the third is that Coca-Cola is everywhere. Um, if you will imagine, we are on the border of Thailand and Cambodia going up to Prabhupada Temple. And, you know, it's this is a militarized zone. And I'm bribing people with my, my guide, Mone, was awesome. And he's like, you need to, if you want to go up there to the to the border, the demilitarized border, we, I can get you up there. But you need to bring a carton of American spirits and $10 bills. 
And so every guard we met, here's a $10 bill and pack American spirits um, just to, you know, get up to where we were going. So imagine there are pit vipers and on the right, we're making sure we don't have any Malayan pit vipers and we're making sure that we don't go to the left because there's landmines over there. And I hear a crunch and I look down and there's a Coca-Cola can. Um, I have enjoyed a Coca-Cola in some of the remote places of the world with, uh, with some very good people. So that's my third, uh, third thing I've noticed is Coca-Cola is literally everywhere. I have gone to the edges of the earth and there's some guy sitting there like, Hey, you want a Coke? It is amazing. They have done so much and to get that product to go so far, I, those are all three things that I have also learned. That was we sound like we've had very similar traveling experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And that's because it's uh, those, those feelings and those beliefs are so universal as is Coca-Cola, you know, um, <laughs> they've, they've managed to, to spread as far and wide as, as they can. And it's, you know, and, and as far as you go, it's somebody's backyard and there they are enjoying a Coke. Yep. So fill me in on some of your ethical tourism rules that you that you maintain. Yeah, so when I started uh, when I when I started planning a big world trip, I started looking at it, and um, you know, it's it's one of those where some places it's easier than others to find out what you can and can't do. Um, a, a perfect example is of ethical tourism is uh, animals, uh, using animals for like pictures, posing with animals. You don't know if that animal is well taken care of. You don't know if that animal is abused and that sort of thing. And, and more often than not, they are, unfortunately. So uh, there's some that absolutely are wonderful. There's some wonderful uh, jungle elephant organizations in Southeast Asia. There's some, some wonderful relief efforts happening uh, for the Bengal tiger and those sort of things. But for me, with animals, the first thing is, is that I don't, utilize an animal for something that it's not meant to be doing. So uh, taking a horse up a mountain, well, that's kind of the horse's job. That's okay. But taking a picture posing with an elephant that is has a chain on it so it doesn't escape and its tusks have been removed so that it can't harm people, that to me is not okay. So that's, that's where I kind of draw the line is, is the animal being exploited uh, for, for the purposes of, of tourism. Um, then, then another one is I try to always kind of make sure where my money is going. Uh, if I am giving money to this, if I'm staying in this hotel, who is that hotel owned by? Is it owned locally? Is that money going to stay where it's really, really needed? Uh, or is that money going to go to a larger organization that is not necessarily treating its employees as well as it can? If I'm going to get a, a tour guide, am I going to find somebody who has gone and is, is a professional tour guide who does this for a living, how they support their family, and is he or she then qualified and certified to do so? And then also, are they working for a company where they're being exploited? And it's, it's basically that. It's making sure that um, the money that you give is staying in those places and is being used for good purposes. Uh, it's, you know, I don't, I don't drink or do drugs, but it's the same thing. Are you, are you going to Bangkok because you want to party or are you going to Bangkok because you want to experience just an amazing, rich, indelible culture? Uh, so it's, it's more of those of, of not only what is the inception of the trip, but where are you going? Why are you going there? 
how are you going to get there and who are you going to associate once you get there? The hardest one that I always encounter is the children selling goods. Oh yeah. Um, that uh, sometimes it's, it's a real valiant effort on the child to learn English and converse with you. And then they take that money and they, they buy uh, computer time so that they can better themselves and they can be more worldly. And other times they're just a pawn of somebody else. Just. Yeah, absolutely. This is um, no way to tell the difference. Um, it, it, the only way to do is, uh, the only way to, to handle it is, is to simply say no. Uh, the way I deal with that is I learned the word for school in every language. Um, and I summarily always, of course, forget it after I leave or I'd give you some examples, but I always learn the word for school. And when I meet kids who come up to me and they want something, I always say school, 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 stay in school. Uh, because what they're doing is, hey, if, if I'm 12 or 13 and I can either go to school or I can sit here all day on this on this you know, side of the road and when uh, a tourist comes by, I can beg for money. Well, if the tourist gives me money, then I'm going to stay on this side of the road and I'm going to keep doing this. But if no tourists are going to give me money, then I'm going to go to school. Um, and there's a difference between helping people who are, you know, obviously desperate for it. There have been situations where I have um, been really fortunate enough to just simply be part of miracles where I am traveling to this remote, um, this remote monastery and this woman happens to be there who has walked for a day and a half to pray for her child who has developmental issues because all she, I'm, I tear up every time I even think about this. Um, her, her child had horrible developmental issues from malnutrition and things. And she was there to pray that somehow she could have enough money to take him to a doctor. Uh, and at the same moment that she was there praying, this kid who, or this adult who lives in Celebration, Florida, has shown up and is there and is willing and able to help and is grateful for the opportunity to help her. Um, so there are absolutely some situations like that where, yes, helping them out and then giving money to and essentially to the child uh, is, is beneficial. But then there's other times where, um, you know, if, if, if a kid just walks up and wants money and, he, and he's saying food, 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 money, it's like, no, go to school, go to school so that you can have food later. Uh, and the, and the other, it's, it can be difficult. The other thing that I do is make sure not to give candy out. Candy is a tough one. Cause it's like the middle road where you're like, Oh, just have some candy. But especially in places where uh, dentistry isn't available, uh, that can actually lead to more issues than it solves. So bread is great. We take little, uh, sweet breads we'll bring and we'll give them out to kids. The other thing that I found on my journeys that is great is a Polaroid camera, just those little fun shooters. And I'll pack a bunch of film in it. I'll throw it in my photo bag. And so what I do is I give the kids photos of them and their friends. So there's something that they're not going to be able to really get that I can give them that is something. And, and that's usually places where I'm really far remote. They're not, they don't have access to cell phones or any electricity even for that matter. And so that's a good way to kind of give gifts back to people without... A, bringing in plastic or trash into places where they, they don't have refuse services, or B, adding to malnutrition. 
That is so Nate Cromwell. <laughs> that, thank uh, you, thank you. That it uh, totally envelops all of your passions in one gift to a child, right there. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, I met- give them a uh, an MA two and a Polaroid. That's everything, Nate Cromwell, right there. Absolutely. If if I could if I could give all of the young budding wanting to be LDs of the world uh, a grand MA on PC and a Polaroid camera to take pictures and give them to people, then that's that would be my gift to the world. Absolutely. <laughs> While sipping a Coke, here's your Polaroid. Here's a and, here's and, a and inhibiting the strobe channel and inhibiting the strobe channel. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, Nate, that is a great place to end this. I would love to chat longer. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really ap- appreciate every moment of this. Oh, thank you, my friend. It's always good to hear your voice. And uh, and it's it's good to just get a chance to connect and laugh and uh, and and socialize while we all do our, you know, do our part as I'm, I look at it this way. We all have a second job, and that is as a citizen. Our second job is citizenry. And that's what we have to do right now. That's our first job is being citizens and being responsible citizens. So everybody enjoy your side gigs. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you later. Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company.